Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Delighted to be joined by our next guest. You've heard him here before, of course, from the Denver Gazette, the uh, Nuggets beat writer there, Vinny Benedetto. V. Benedetto on Twitter. Vinny, thanks so much for joining us. Obviously, it has been a ride. Uh, th- this was an interesting series because at one hand, you know, I, I know a lot of people picked it. I know that, that both of us picked the, the Nuggets to win this in five. Uh, it didn't seem like a particularly good matchup for the Heat. And at, at the same time, it looked like a foregone conclusion for a lot of the series. At the same time, uh, this is something that's never been done before. And, and the Nuggets have been around since 1968. Uh, so when this is their first championship, uh, you get nervous right up until the very end. But it didn't feel as if the players were quite as nervous <laughs> or concerned about it as their coach was over the course of this run. You were there every day. You were, you were with this team. Uh, how did it feel to you? Yeah, it, it felt like they were really pretty confident. And then I think there were some some jitters in Game Five. I think you know you look at some of the early turnovers. Oh, sure. Free throw sh- yeah, absolutely. the poor free throw shooting and the yeah. three point shooting. But I think it, it, it took up until they were on the precipice for for any of that to set in. You know, through through the first three rounds, you look back and in the three games they lost were uh, well, Game Four in Minnesota where where they forced overtime. Right two historic performances from Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are, are needed to get that to six games. Um, so yeah, it, it was really business, business-like approach up until, uh, you know, the first half of game five on Monday, I, I, I think there were certainly some, some nerves seeping in, but I think it, it was a pretty impressive performance from, from them to kind of calm down at halftime and say, Hey, we're not playing very well, but we're only down seven. You know, this thing's totally within reach as long as we, uh, you know, go out there and play the way we've played throughout this playoff playoff stretch, and and they did that in the second half for sure. I'll share with you the story that I uh, told yesterday, um, and it 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 happened uh, particularly during Game Five on Monday night. Um, I have about a dozen longtime diehard Nuggets fans, and they're more nervous than the players were, and they're texting me throughout the game. And even during the second half, when the Nuggets are clearly in control and have cut the lead down and it's basically an even game, uh, they're concerned. And my simple reply was, the Heat can't score. They had 38 points, as it turned out, in the second half. I said, the Heat can't score. And there's nothing more frustrating to a player in sports than an inability to score points. There is nothing more damaging than that. Yes, the Nuggets were turning it over left and right, missing free throw after free throw, 10 out of 23 they took on the evening. It was the least efficient offensive performance in the playoffs 
not just for the Nuggets, but for any team in the playoffs. They had 96 possessions. They scored 94 points. Even Miami in defeat was more efficient offensively than Denver was in in game number five. And they still won the game by five points because the Heat couldn't score. And as I was reminded today, and I've gone back and looked at the game uh, a second or third time, but I, I needed to be reminded, you know, with 90 seconds left in the game, the Nuggets were losing on Monday night. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Bruce Brown made the key offensive play, an offensive rebound and a stick back. And then, of course, Contavious Caldwell-Pope made the critical defensive play, stealing the ball from Jimmy Butler, who either didn't have the energy or uh, the feeling that he could beat Jamal Murray one-on-one, and then Jokic came over and he threw a pass that was intercepted by Caldwell-Pope. And those two plays were the key plays in the game. But uh, it, it sounds strange to watch this great offensive team and know that they won a championship based on defense. Yeah, it's it's really interesting and, and frankly a, a bit surprising. You know, I, I don't think I had uh, holding the heat under, you know, to 95 points. or. Oh, no, I, I didn't have that either. But even at halftime, I didn't think the heat would score 100. Yeah, yeah, and I think they kind of figured it. I mean, the Heat came to the realization early in the series that their only chance here was to slow it down, muck it up, and hope. Make it a street can, fight. Yep. Yep. Keep Denver's offense out of rhythm as best you can. And, you know, I think you got to tip your cap to the Nuggets for, you know, it's hard to, to really just inject pace at, at times without getting sloppy, I think, you know, or, you know, suffering some unforced errors. Um, yeah, but the Nuggets did – all right, we're, we, can, we can play this way. We're willing to play this way, and we can beat you this way. And, and you know, Game 5 was as evident as ever in the series that they were they were willing to come down and, and fight on Miami's level. Vinny, when you look at the, the performance, the consistent domination of Nikola Jokic, even in games in which he didn't dazzle statistically, uh, at no point when he was on the floor – was he not the best player on the floor? I mean, that, that kind of performance, um, when you, you've been around this team and you've been around them all year, uh, it, it feels that even Jokic found a higher gear in what we believe at least was his best season, MVP or no. Uh, he found even a higher gear in these playoffs and was essentially just a steamroller in the end. Yeah, and I was going to go back to those Phoenix games and say, oh, you know, maybe Devin Booker was better for a game or two. And then I was like, wait, no, Nicola had 53 and 11 in one of the losses. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, yeah, that's right. he, he's kind of been, you know, the undisputed, I think, best player in these playoffs since round one. You know, it was kind of wire to wire, I think, of, for him being on a different level than anybody else in the league. And, you know, I think he's not the type to get satisfied by success. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he comes back next year and he's somehow found a way to be even better once again. Uh, Back to the defensive theme. It seemed to me, and I'd love to hear your uh, feeling about this, that although he was in occasional foul trouble in game four and in game five too, in the first half anyway, that his defense in games four and five of the NBA finals, his defense was better than his offense. And I offer as illustration, Bam Adebayo's second half on Monday night in Game 5. After scoring 18 points and grabbing 19, uh, nine rebounds in the first half. 18-9 and nine in the first half, and arguably outplayed Jokic in the first half. 
in the second half, Bam Adebayo was one for seven from the field, had all of three rebounds in 23 minutes. He played all but one minute in the second half, made one field goal, and had three rebounds in the second half. He was invisible. And overall, he played a terrific game. He had a great series. He was Miami's best player by far in the series. And Jokic dominated him, yes, even when the Miami Heat were on offense and Jokic was defending. He had seven deflections and four kickball violations in game four alone. He was better on defense than he was on offense at the end, his supposed weakness. Yeah, that's a, that's a, an incredible thing to say and an incredible thing to be correct on. Cause I'm with you. I think he was better defensively than he was offensively. And, you know, the, the games Bam Adebayo played well, and, and he, he had a number of them in the finals. Um, but it was like they forced him to hit 17-foot jumpers. You know, there, weren't, there wasn't anything easy around the rim for him. And or, or for anyone else on the heat, you look at, you know, I don't know how many times Jimmy Butler got into the paint. And, I, you know, obviously that starts with Aaron Gordon. Uh, sure does. Yes. Aaron Gordon, brilliant defensively. But having Nicola behind him, you know, is I, I'm sure some sort of deterrent, you know, to some guys going into the lane and, and trying to finish through contact. But, yeah, it, it's not always the uh, the highlight defensive plays that, that make a good defender. And I think Nicola has probably opened up a lot of people's eyes that, you know, even if it's thrown his leg at a ball to, to, you know, get a reset and allow the defense to, you know, get back to their original man, you know, can, can be helpful for a defense and um, the defensive rebounding, you know, nuggets dominated the glass, I think throughout the series, um, you know, and, and that's, a, that's valuable when it comes to getting stops and limiting your opponents to one shot. So um, yeah, I think he's, uh, he's, I think he's been a better defender than he's gotten credit for 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 probably most of the last couple seasons. But this finals run should uh, should open some eyes uh, for other people to to be able to appreciate what he does on on the defensive end. We're talking with Vinny Benedetto of the Denver Gazette, V Benedetto on Twitter, and I think that's an interesting point because you know we look at the 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 stats right, and it's, it's the stats, the stat padding, if you will, uh, to to coin a phrase with Nikola Jokic. But it, it is those defensive stats, and I, I think that's one of the things that when people sort of wrap their head around uh, what Jokic has done, it's the idea that uh, we, we need, and I shouldn't say we need to redefine defense because this has always been a part of defense, but it's been sort of a lazy analysis that defense has to do with swatting shots into the, the, into the second row, and that's the only thing that matters. Shot blocking is a totally different thing than defense. Right. Defense is limiting the ability of your opponent to score however you get it done, and, and the Nuggets, not only with Jokic's ability, but with a, a swarming performance, and I guess let's, let's zoom over to Aaron Gordon there. Yeah. Held off Jimmy Butler, LeBron James, Kevin Durant. Did I miss anybody in those last three rounds? Has anybody taken on a harder assignment of three guys in a row and succeeded to the level in which Aaron Gordon did? Uh, his fit with the Denver Nuggets took a little bit of uh, to get going, and it had even starts and stops. But by the end, you're talking about a player that is absolutely integral to the success of this team in almost every way. And when you look at Gordon, he seems more than happy to just sit in Jokic and even Murray's shadow and just go with the flow. Yeah, and that's one thing that, you know, the last two playoff runs when the Nuggets were without Jamal Murray, um, obviously, and then the last one without MPJ as well, 
that created more opportunity for Aaron offensively. And it's just like, I think a lot of players would, would embrace that and be like, Oh, this is great. You know, more shots for me, more chance to create. Uh, Aaron this year seems to, to your point, has taken more joy in um, having fewer opportunities to create, you know, having the ball in his hand less where it's just like the, the process for him offensively has just gotten really simple. Um, play the dunker spot a lot. If, if you happen to float out to the corner and you, you know, it's a catch and shoot three, go for it. But the, the offensive process has been uh, really simplified for him, and he's really embraced that, which I think you have to give him credit for because I'm not sure a lot of guys um, would would be willing to take a step back like that after after being asked to do more the two previous seasons. And then, yeah, the defensive work has just been um, at a really high level the entire playoff run. And, and not only is it just the, the superstars he guarded, one thing that stands out to me is they're all different kind of players. Sure. It, it starts with uh, – Carl Anthony Towns in, in Minnesota. I agree. Then, I agree. I was going to add that in, too. I, I think he did a hell of a job on Carl Anthony Towns. Took him out of the series, basically, early on. And then, you know, to Kevin Durant, who's, you know, obviously an incredible isolation scorer, but does it in, you know, more of a finesse kind of way. Then you've got LeBron James, who's willing to, you know, bully you and body you to get to his spot. And then Jimmy Butler, you know, entered the yeah. finals as, as probably the second best playoff player up to that point and, and Aaron Gordon you know if he didn't hold them below their their season averages they were less efficient than they were in the regular season oh, so absolutely. yeah Aaron, Aaron's got to be one of the uh um unsung heroes of this whole thing well uh, that goes without saying and you did a lot in explaining why he was I want to ask you about even a more enigmatic player at times through the years Michael Porter Jr. There was a time when Michael Porter Jr. would score 16 points in a game and would think in his own mind that he hadn't played well to score only 16 points. He ceased to become that player in the playoffs this year. What do you think was behind that transformation in Michael Porter Jr.? Yeah, I think there was just a lot of a, a lot of growing up that's gone on between you know the last playoff run that he participated in and, and this one, um, and I think health has a lot to do with it. Throughout the years, or you know throughout this season at least, he would he would say that you know a lot of his defensive shortcomings he felt had to do with not not feeling great physically, not having the same flexibility or, or range of of movement. Um, and this year, it's like we've almost saw the opposite of what we've seen from Michael previously, where it's like, okay, the three point shot was a constant earlier. This, this playoff run, you know, the final specifically uh, three point shot isn't there, but he's defending at at least a serviceable level. And I think that's got to be considered a win in and of itself. Um, he had what 13 rebounds in game five. Like mm-hmm. you don't, you don't get, you don't get double digit rebounds by accident, even if you are six ten. Um, and so I think his willingness to, to, you know, he, he still took the three-point shots that presented himself, but he wasn't hunting the three-point shot while it wasn't falling. He was, I think he turned down some looks they probably wanted him to take in the last few games of, that, of the final series, but his ability to uh, get on the offensive rebounds and get putbacks or attack a closeout for, for a layup or a dunk and, and um, just being able to hold his own defensively, I think, was really important. And, and 
those weren't things I think we necessarily would have seen in, in the previous playoff runs from him. Yeah, I think when we when we look at this, the, the growth there, the 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 changes in the way this team has played. Uh, let let's do what you know we can we can do. I don't want to maybe get away from enjoying it a bit, obviously for for the fans, but. Uh, with Bruce Brown being the only player that got major part of the rotational minutes in the finals, uh, up with the player option, and almost certainly, even though we talked about potentially coming back, we'll see, it uh, becomes very different when someone offers you two and a half times what you were making last year. What do you think the Nuggets would need to add if Brown leaves? You know, What about the ascension of Christian Brown? Uh, is, is there someone on the roster that can replace Bruce Brown, or is that somewhere where the Nuggets would have to go shopping, uh, or do you think it's just going to be too hard to replace a guy like that? Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to replace, and, and if I'm the Nuggets, I think you got to prioritize, I mean, the backup point guard spot right now, assuming Bruce leaves, is, is Smith and, yeah. and Colin Gillespie. Reggie Jackson, um, right. Reggie Jackson, if he if he wants to return, yeah, um, and so yeah, and like those guys are all fine players. I don't know, you know, if, if those any of those guys are somebody you can re, you know count on for an entire regular season and, and what is expected to be another postseason run. Um, so yeah, and, and then you've got Christian Brown. You know, I think we're all expecting him to come back even even better than he was as a rookie, but I don't think he's going to be you know a primary ball handler anytime soon. Uh, Peyton Watson is a guy, you know, a lot of people have talked about how excited they are for his future. Um, great size for a wing. Still don't think he's, you know, a, a primary ball handler. Um, oh, of course not. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I think, so I think it's going to be really hard for them to find the, you know, a perfect Bruce Brown. Oh, sure. And a, and a guy who has defensive versatility and, and the ability to, to handle some guard minutes um, when, when Jamal isn't on the court. Uh, so I, I think I, I'd start there in terms of whether it's the ability to move up in the draft or, or maybe you see if somebody, uh, an established veteran, wants to take a little discount to see if they can win a championship you know, with Denver. I think um, guard skills and the ability to kind of take some of the ball handling weight off of uh, Jamal and Joker will be a, a, a primary uh, objective this offseason. You speak of Jamal Murray, and, and, and very quickly, I, I don't think – and. Uh, disagree with me if if you think I'm wrong about this. I don't think there was a single individual to whom the championship meant more the other night than Jamal Murray. Uh, he was more emotional than any other player, certainly more emotional than Jokic was about winning the championship. And, of course, Jokic didn't have to spend two years coming back, uh, the better part of two years, uh, coming back from uh, a serious uh, knee injury. But what do you foresee now from Jamal Murray who may be unique in the annals of NBA history among players who have never been all-stars, and yet, as of right now, as far as playoff performers are concerned, he's close to being an all-time great, and he's never made an all-star team. Yeah, he, he stands alone, you know, I think, as or maybe not alone, but in a rare company of guys who have been able to consistently elevate their game in the postseason. Without being all stars, right? I, I think he is alone in that respect. Um, and so, I, you know, and I think this run is certainly going to help him get some respect from all the all star voters out there. And I think, I think he's returned better from injury as a as a more complete point guard. I think we're seeing more. Great point. Uh, he he him and he and Joker both averaged what 
20 points, five rebounds, and five assists throughout the playoffs. Right, and first time it's ever it happened. Like, yeah, that's right. It seems like yeah. there were a ton of Murray games where, okay, shot's not falling. You're still managing to get 18 to 20 points, and, and the games you're not scoring, you're you're grabbing eight rebounds and dishing out eight assists. Like, like the other night. Five. Right, yeah. So I think I think if he can take that um, that approach where it's, I'm not just a scorer, I'm a, I'm a facilitator, I'm a rebounder, you know, I think his averages are going to creep up to the point where he's got to be considered an all-star pretty regularly and, and maybe even an all-NBA guy when, when all is said and done. He is Vinny Benedetto. You can follow him on Twitter at V Benedetto. And, of course, check out everything at the Denver Gazette that he's putting together there. Terrific work, especially over the course of this run. Uh, you've earned yourself a bit of a rest, my friend. Thanks so much for hopping on with us. Appreciate it. Yeah, the rest happened uh, after the parade and the week between that and the draft. Uh, yeah, so uh, what? Enjoy the nine <laughs> days or so. But <laughs> Thanks so much, Vinny. Thank you, Ed. <laughs> Vinny Benedetto joining us from the Denver Gazette. I agree uh, with him. I, I agree with him about Murray. Uh, yeah. I, I, he's better now than he was before. Uh, I think this is the best he's ever he's been. He's a complete player. Um, he's regained everything offensively, and I think he's better defensive player, too. Now, I'm not saying he's going to make any old defensive teams in the near future, but he's better mm-hmm. on on defense. And uh, the other night, yeah, the six turnovers uh, were uh, somewhat bothersome and frustrating, but 14-8-8 eight eight with a steal, plus 12 in 41 minutes, if that's a bad night, you can sure live with that. This is the uh, last year you're going to be able to say that Jamal Murray has not been an all-star. He'll make it next year. He'll make it next year. He's he's in the mix, and of course, I think... He and Jokic will be the two with, last picks uh, because yeah. their games aren't suited to the nonsense that now transpires during All-Star games year in and year out. Yeah, but they'll take the little bump in the uh, the contract and a little bit of the... Uh, little bit of the and it's, hey, All-Star weekend... It, All-Star week's a blast, I'll tell you that much. We'll talk more about the Nuggets and their championship. Want to hear what you think as well. 303-831-1340 is the number. We'll be back with more next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar. Presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Well, as we said, we wanted your feedback as well here on My Life Sports. Thanks for everyone, by the way, watching on uh, on the website or on the app or listening on the radio, all the ways you can get it. And I, I am ridiculously underdressed proceedings today. Uh, not at all. You, well, you, you're the one that's dressed right. You got the My Life Sports shirt on and everything. Uh, I, we, we have, Look, we, we had staff meetings today, and I was the only guy that wore it. I, everyone else was dressed like you. Well, you got I a was... long sleeve shirt on. It's a beautiful day outside. Yeah, well. I don't even have my sleeve. I'm also very back. pasty, and I don't want to scare off the normals. So I try, oh, you know, I they need to have some some, some sleeves right. there. But uh, 303-831-1340 hey, is the Hey, by the way, the Rockies won three games in a row. They did. I, honestly, I didn't. Two in extra innings in Boston. I didn't notice. They're I saw the one in Boston. I saw the one in Boston last night because I'm sure that would have frustrated Red Sox fans. Like, you got to be kidding. These guys, and you know what? I, I don't entirely blame you. Red Sox just beat the Yankees in New York two out of three. They come home against the Rockies. Think they get a three-game series. Think they're going to easily win all three. Then you lose. And they lose the first two. To some guys. 
that in you, extra innings they get beat. I mean, uh, I still I heard another expression for Ghost Runner. Told you what? Did rock- you hear it? No, I didn't. Manfred's man. Manfred. Little, hey, look at that. That's a that's a you gotta you gotta dig. You gotta get to some music there. That's bit, that's a that, tough one. But uh, the Manfred man. Manfred, you could do it. Okay. Not the Ghost Runner. The Manfred. Man. I I I'm I'm still a fan. I of still it. don't. I know. I don't. I know, and I, I get why you don't. I get why. And you they don't. don't do it in the playoffs, right? No, no. It's not in the playoffs. No, of course not. Not in the playoffs. No, you just no, play it out. No, it's, it's equivalent to the shootout in hockey. It's just, I, I, it's just trying I, to get, I, I, you're trying to get kids at home. Trying well, to get kids home. Uh, of course. They're trying to speed up the game. They don't want 18, 19, 20. And also uh, teams don't that. like those I on getaway that. day when they're trying to get to the next city oh, and I, you're I, stuck in some 17-inning nightmare. You 162 games. I'm all for it. I just don't like it. And somebody suggested, why don't they start the inning with the bases empty and after the first out put a guy in second? So the the problem I have with it, there's a guy in second, and I'll shut up about it in 20 seconds. They they put the guy (laughs) in second, and two ground balls to the right side of the infield can get him in. Right. Right. I I mean, I I just the the odds in baseball. I understand that happens sometimes, but if. It, but it requires a double to leave. I'd off have the to inning. get the yeah. I'd have to get the uh, the <laughs> Not latest just placing a guy at second base stats. It's been years since I've actually you know really looked this up. But but roughly, if you have a if you have a man on second with one out, your odds on that runner scoring are actually just around uh, somewhere between sixty five and seventy percent. Assuming well, you're, assuming high, that you're not trying to uh, you know, assume you're trying to not bash. Uh, hit a home run everywhere, you know, if you sacrifice a guy, get a, you know, whatever. But uh, the Rockies, you're right, though. The Rockies have a chance to sweep Boston in Boston. How about that? Go figure. And that's after uh, beating San Diego as well. So they're one, three in a row. Of course, that's after they lost six in a row. But, you know, whatever. Well, we that's ancient history. <laughs> they they were verging before <laughs> the three-game winning streak on a 100-loss pace. No, and now they got off of it again. And now they're way, way off. So if you're one of the Rockies fans that hopes that maybe 100 might actually uh, jostle something I, loose. I think it could still happen. I could. Oh, yeah. Hope oh, springs oh yeah. Time. All of the injuries uh, haven't all, all hit yet. You know, there's there's that part of it as well. Uh, Danny Bailey monitoring the text oh, yes. line. Uh, there's a couple there that we should uh, let's, let's go through a couple while we're here. Absolutely. This one from Roger from yesterday. He sent it in right near the end of the show uh, when we were talking about coaching. He said, Malone isn't my favorite, but he got the job done. But the brains behind the coaching is Adelman. It'll hurt to lose him. Hmm. Um, well, they haven't lost him yet. Right. right. <laughs> uh, sure. But I think he is He is going to be a head coach. And uh, nothing against Malone whatsoever, but I thought the games that Adelman coached this year when Malone was sick, I thought he brought a calm to the proceedings that was uh, refreshing. But, uh, you know, fire and ice does work. It does. And uh, Jokic and Malone, in a sense, complement each other in that way. But I agree with David Adelman's uh, apparent ascension in the uh, in the coaching ranks, and, the, and I agree with those who say he helped himself a lot this year. He was clearly the lead assistant, uh, the guy sitting next yeah. to Malone. Well, you know, the lead may assistant may have even uh, calmed Malone down maybe, at times. Maybe so. And uh, and and uh, the, the Nuggets have actually had a pretty good run of assistants here under Michael Malone. The guys that have, have gone on and, and and done some other things as well. So uh, I'm not going to go that far coach because of the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, right? Coached here under. Alone. Yep, uh, Wes Unseld, 
uh, Wes junior as well. So, I mean, you're talking about some talent there. And at, at a certain point, you might have to give him alone a little bit of that uh, as well when you start putting other guys in those spots. You know, you develop your own coaching tree. But I, I think it's I think it's a, that's maybe a little oversimplified because any good head coach has a good staff, and that staff compliments them. And uh, you, you can... Uh, you would be able to do it better than I would, Sandy, for more significant coaches. But I mean, I you know, they'll tell you about the longtime assistants for uh, Greg Popovich, sure, or, sure. Uh, Mike Budenholzer being one. Uh, who yep. I, I think maybe the only one who won a championship. Yep, uh, quite possibly so. Uh, Becky Hammond, another for the last few sure. years as well, who did win a championship, by the way, over first year with the in the WNBA. Right. So uh, I I think it's a little more complicated than that at times. Uh, obviously, Tex Winter for a long time with the with Phil Jackson. That there's always other parts of it. Uh, but the, 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 a lot of those guys, Tex Winter, never particularly. He had been a head coach, right? But he never particularly at that point with Phil Jackson wanted to be a head coach again. Johnny Bach had been a head coach with uh, the Warriors, and at, that when he joined Phil Jackson, he didn't really want to be a head coach again. So they they were guys who who were not competing for attention or a head coaching job anywhere uh, against each other or with respect to Phil Jackson. And I think there was a sense uh, with Phil Jackson, even that when he joined Doug Collins staff, that the idea was he would succeed Collins and Collins knew that. And uh, there was always tension there, but with Jackson, he had Tex Winter and Johnny Bach and they had no head coaching aspirations. And uh, Malone is, I think been in a position where he's been well served uh, by his assistants. He has selected them uh, uh, quite well, I think. And there just has to be a comfort level. And you don't, uh, the assistants don't have to tell the head coach what to do. And the head coach agrees with them all the time, but the assistants, they, they provide a sounding board for the head coach and, and maybe uh, compliment him the men of different temperaments than the head coach. I, I think those are always the, the best situations where, where you have kind of a voice of reason somewhere on the assistant coaching staff. Yeah. So I think that's uh, it, it's, it's more complicated than that, but obviously the, all of them are champions and all of them justifiably. So uh, Danny, you, you know that there were, uh, so there were a couple others in the text. We catch up a little bit. Yes, there are. There's uh, one here from Joe. He said, I agree. Booth is the unsung hero. Speaking of GM Calvin Booth, uh, to that end, I'm curious if you guys think the Nuggets still win the championship with Connolly still as GM. In other words, with Morris and Barton instead of Brown and KCP. I have a feeling I know the answer. Who wants to go first? Well, I- I'll go first because you have a stronger opinion on this. I-, I I can't say, and I don't think you would even say you know for a fact. No, I would not say that, that Will Barton would still be here because there were people and have been people within the organization who have insisted uh, that even if Connolly had stayed, Will Barton was a goner uh, for any number of reasons. Uh, that Malone had become fed up with Will Barton and. If Connolly stays, Will Barton still gets traded. Uh, I know you don't necessarily buy that. I don't necessarily buy it either. Uh, my sense, without commenting unfairly on Tim Connolly, is that Calvin Booth wasn't just a placeholder. He came in and was active and aggressive. Remember at the end of last year, uh, Connolly talked about how aggressive the Nuggets are going to be in the offseason. Yes. And we kind of rolled our eyes Mm -hmm. at that, but I think Calvin Booth came in and he did do things 
like drafting Christian Brown and Peyton Watson that I don't believe Tim Connolly would have done. We'll never know. I, yeah, we'll never know, but I, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, we will see. You know, we've heard that about Barton over the years. and but I, I think in Connolly's case, there was, there was a loyalty to Barton who had been there when the, the team was very, very bad. And uh, in Morris's case, you're talking about an outstanding backup point guard. Oh, there's nothing wrong with Morris. He uh, just uh, had to be in the trade. Right, right. But I mean, I Along think, with but Barton I think if they were going to get given, I, I, Basically, long story short, uh, given that exact trade that would include Barton and have to cost you Monte Morris on the way out with, uh, no, I don't believe Tim Connolly makes that move. And I don't believe the Nuggets win the title without that move. And no one can contradict you on that. It's a matter of opinion. No, it's a matter of opinion. But that that would be my opinion. Uh, So, no, I think, um, and I think we we heard Josh Kroenke talk about it earlier, and I think Kroenke correctly uh, gave Connolly a lot of credit for this title, uh, pointing out uh, building the culture and building the team uh, the way it goes. But sometimes this is how it works with coaches, with GMs, that there are guys that they can get you to a certain level, and then you need uh, uh, somebody else to, to, to get, take it over the top. And we hear it with coaches all the time, and that was the discussion circling around Michael Malone for a, a lot of the last couple years, that maybe he had gotten, he'd gotten this team from being a bad team to being a consistent playoff team, and well, then you might need someone else to take it to the next level, but that can happen with GMs too. A consistent playoff qualifying team, but let's not forget you're exactly right about the doubts on Malone. The Nuggets were 6-14 and 14 in the playoffs going into the playoffs this year. That was at the heart we of were talking about skepticism he, that existed about the Nuggets. The they Nuggets didn't get to the Western well, we Conference Finals. Well, wrong. Well, no, your record itself created doubts. Losing 14 out of 20 playoff games, going back to the bubble. I mean, we're not just isolating one playoff year. We're talking about parts of three preceding playoff years, 2020, 2021, 2022. They had gone 6-14. and 14. Mm-hmm. And you can't just say that Porter was gone and Murray was gone because both were, however briefly, involved in the 6-14. and 14. You go back to the bubble, Jokic, Murray, and Porter were all healthy, and they were down three games to one in three straight series with all those guys perfectly healthy. The thought process all the way into these playoffs was if the Denver Dongas did not get to the Western Conference Finals, did not get to the Western Conference Finals, there was a good chance, a good chance that Michael Malone might be dismissed. Uh, Problem solved there. In fact, uh, I have some numbers about Michael Malone. That t- not it's only the same thing last year with Jared Bednar. Not only it's not the same yeah. thing last year with Bednar of the Avalanche. Not only is uh, Michael Malone safe, he's in rare company. I have some numbers you might be surprised to hear. I'll tell you next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, I'll give you some of those notes on uh, Michael Malone in a minute, but we want to go back to our uh, sure. text line, 303-831-1340. Danny, what have you got? Absolutely. One of uh, my concerns going in to these playoffs was actually similar to this texture. it looks like. He says, I think the Nugs need a good, strong backup center maybe 15 minutes per game, any ideas on who that could come from? There are so few 
good backup center. Such a shame that Thomas Bryant did not work out at all. It is. Because it actually seemed like the perfect fit. It just just did it not work. And I, I don't quite understand why it didn't work, and I don't fault Malone for that because when Malone used him right after the no. trade, he didn't play worth and a I, And I don't so fault I, for I, that I, I because that I, looked I find like a no really smart trade. on that. I thought no. it was a decent trade. As was the addition of Reggie Jackson, which also did not work out, and I don't blame Malone for that either. Nope. Because Malone gave Reggie Jackson a shot, and it didn't seem to be helping, and guys like Bruce Brown had to play, and Christian Brown deserved to play, and Jeff Green was better than Thomas Bryant, and the Nuggets finally landed on effectively Aaron Gordon as their backup center, and in the playoffs anyway, that worked out fine. Uh, the days of... You know, the, the 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 great backup center. I think of, and you'll remember this, uh, during the latter portion of the UCLA dynasty, uh, Bill Walton was the starting center at UCLA. His backup was Sven Nader, who went on to become a, a pretty good backup center in the NBA. He was recruited to UCLA. He was considered one of the three or four best centers in the country. He was recruited by John Wooden to UCLA specifically to back up Bill Walton. Hardly ever played, but when people got rough with Walton, and this is before Walton had Maurice Lucas in Portland as a teammate, yeah. uh, he they would send uh, Sven Nader into the game, and he would uh, take care of business. And, of course, the days of Robert Parrish and Bill Walton <laughs> yeah, as a, a center tandem, they're long gone. Well, let me give teams you the, can't afford. Here's the first of agents. all to bring in a quality backup center, and there aren't that many good starting no. centers. The free agents that are not, I would say, uh, that have to be, you'd have to consider reasonably affordable. When I say reasonably affordable, I mean uh, eight eight million or less, and that would be taking up. That assumes Bruce Brown leaves. That would be giving all that over. Uh, you could look at Jakob Pertl, but I don't think that makes any sense. Uh, he's a decent player. He'd be a decent yep. backup center. I, I, I think that would that. that would work. He'd be a decent backup. There'd be nothing really wrong with that. But otherwise, I mean, you may look at quite frankly, it won't work here. But uh, Thomas Bryant's one of the few that's actually got experience. I don't think he's going anywhere because he was a restricted free agent. But certainly, I think you saw some quality minutes from Jock Landale uh, in in Phoenix, who's restricted. If for some reason he were to uh, end up available. Well. Uh, otherwise, you're looking at guys on the wrong this side says of, more of about very, Aiton, But I thought he was better than Aiton in the Nuggets. The guy that I know Sandy would want that is an unrestricted free agent that this year only makes $1.5 million but might get a raise, unless, of course, the injury lingers is one Nas Reed. Well, uh, that would be the at bare minimum. Nas you Reed. Should, you should make the Tim call. if Tim Connolly doesn't know this, <laughs> if yeah. Tim Connolly doesn't know this, he, he's an abject fool, and I don't think he's an abject you, you fool. You better make the phone call. Naz Reed is a better basketball player than Rudy Gobert, and he is a better basketball player than Carl Anthony Towns. And I think that was the injury. That Not not the one to the, the uh, four. I mean, Laughlin they weren't beating wasn't, the Nuggets anyway, wasn't. But, but to me, the injury to Reed was far more significant. And they weren't going to beat the Nuggets. You're, you're, you're right. Daniels, right. But yeah. Reed was the best big mm-hmm on the Minnesota roster, and I think even the Timberwolves figured that out, unfortunately got injured late in the year. Yeah, that would be the, you kick the tires, you know. Hey, just see if uh, see what that might be. I, that that I, one would I make would sense. I would love to see him here, and you know what? He'd be a rotation guy. 
he wouldn't just be a oh, backup no. playing eight to ten minutes. He could fill in as a four, four and a five when Gordon is resting or Porter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, he Actually, played twenty to twenty-five. Were Bruce minutes Brown again. to leave, if you could pull that off, that's the fit because you have Christian oh, Brown in be, that wing role anyway. Bruce Brown at six eight. Yeah, Brown at six four, but Brown, of course, has the six nine. But as span. you're guarding your your wings, you have Christian Brown for that as well. Right. So I mean, yeah, that that would be Nasri to be. I, I think that'd be the oh, ideal fit. And Minnesota would never. They'd be let fools him go. to let him go. They'd never. be fools, but you never know. We'd have to see. That would be my pick. Any more, Danny? That you uh, had sitting out there that we could grab real quick? Yeah, I've got one here uh, from Cuban Benny. Says, Cuban Benny. Yeah, he says my that. Man. That Bill, uh, that Bill Walton story is partially why I think it may not be a bad idea to trade MPJ. Salary-wise, he could match up uh, mm-hmm. to get a nice return. Uh, I don't think you've seen enough career-wise from MPJ for people to take on the contract with that much and that that much remaining with the length. It's just that simple. Uh, there's Good too to much hear from Cuban. It is. There's too much left. Uh, yeah. yeah, I I too think much that's left on that something deal. that that's something that a couple down, years the down the road. road when, when there comes a time where you may have to choose between Gordon and Porter, mm-hmm. but that time is not right uh, now. No, right right now, I, I would not say that Michael Porter Jr. is untradeable. I don't say it's untradeable, but it would not be worth what you have to, to move along with it to get what you're getting, in part because Porter Jr., remember, uh, he didn't sign that deal all that long ago. He's owed, over the next four years, uh, $33.4 million, $35.8 million, $38.3 million, and then $40.8 million <laughs> in 2026-27. Uh, that is not a movable contract at his current level of production. If it steps up, who knows? But I, uh, as we put this together here, I wanted to spend this time, I, I researched this a bit yesterday. I, we talked about it a bit during the show and, and uh, went back and looked at it last night. The idea that Michael Malone, out of the 364 people who have coached NBA over the course of history. Went from being a, perhaps even a risk of losing his job had they not gotten to the Western Conference Finals to now. Sandy, I only took coaches who have won one NBA title. And I took coaches that had at least 60 playoff games. So you don't have the sort of very fortuitous Paul Westhead run uh, with the Lakers when they had 19 playoff games in his career. But also, also had Magic and Kareem. Right. Uh, so guys that had longevity, 60 or more games in the playoffs. And uh, there are not that many of those, by the way, only 36 who have ever had even 60 or more appearances. Um, and you're talking about uh, and championship, uh, which you're talking fewer still. The winning percentage now after the 16 of four run for Michael Malone, six at 544. That is 20th all time among championship winning coaches who have had more than 60 postseason appearances. Now, Steve Kerr leads the list at 707. Uh, That's going to be hard to beat. Yeah, Phil Jackson at 688. Of course. Uh, John Kundla of uh, back in the, in the 40s, 632. Billy Cunningham uh, in the 70s and 80s, 629. Larry Costello in the 70s at 617. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, Larry Costello is one of the great underrated coaches. I Ty Lue at 612. Yeah. Pat yeah. Riley at seven at six oh six. Of course, he's got yeah. five of them, along yeah. with Greg Popovich, who has five of them at five ninety nine. Right. Chuck Daly at five ninety five. Yeah. Eric Spolstra, even with sure. these losses, at five ninety two. Oh, 
Red Auerbach coach. at, yeah. at uh, 589. Tommy Heinsohn at 588. Casey yeah. Jones at 587. Yeah. Hey, that's something. what's oh, up, Celtics, Celtics coaches, group? Yeah. Uh, Alex Hannum, Rudy Tomjanovich, yeah. Bill Sharman. Yeah. But, I mean, these these are not unknown names I'm rolling off here. No. Uh, Frank Vogel, uh, 557. Uh, Bill Russell uh, just well, makes the cut at 61 games. Another Celtic coach. Right? He, he didn't have that record coaching Seattle uh, or the right. Sacramento Kings. Red Holtzman. Red Holtzman, the great Red Holtzman. Then One Mike, of the 10 great coaches of all time. And then Maybe Michael Ballone, ahead, just ahead of Mike Budenholzer, Larry Brown, and Doc Rivers. Mm-hmm. Michael Malone. Yeah, the, the, well, the, I, I think he is in in that class with the Budenholzers and uh, the Doc Rivers at at this point. I do. I, I And, you know, Doc Rivers gets knocked a lot because he's lost 10 game sevens. Still a lot of about a five sixteen winning percentage there. and a ring. He's still got to get there, and he still won a title, and he still got a record above five hundred, which is, as you suggest, not commonplace. Uh, unless you've won a championship, it is really tough to be a five hundred coach. And there are players. some na- there are some names on that list. Uh, matter of fact, there are four of them that are under five hundred, and uh, none of them are chumps. Rick Carlisle, four seventy four. Lenny Wilkins, of course, the great Lenny Wilkins, 449. Dick Mata, 444. And Jack Ramsey, 431. Yeah, All yeah. championship Ramsey, winning coaches uh, with more than and each of those guys, by the way. The low is Ramsey with 102 playoff appearances. In, in my lifetime watching the NBA, Jack Ramsey's top 10 coach, maybe top five. And but, but, his winning percentage in the playoffs is below 450. That's the career stratosphere. If not the way he's going to be considered, I don't think anyone's. We've run over some names that, but I mean, is is he vastly inferior to Ty Lu? No, no, of course not. No, so I mean, who, who are you but behind? They, you know, Ty Lu, I I think is an excellent coach. Oh, yes, he is. Ty Lu had LeBron James, that's and helpful. Kyrie Irving when Kyrie Irving hadn't lost his mind yet. And I mean, you're talking about when you're talking about the best of the best in the in the Kerr. Jackson, Riley, Popovich, Daly, Auerbach world. Is he well, in the, Those are. Is he. That, that, those guys. Malone are, is not in class that. By right. That's a totally different class. And that's kind of my point. You're not reaching that. And I don't think Michael Malone will ever reach that. But you're talking about, uh, you know, Ty Lu. You're talking about Budenholzers. You're talking oh, about Doc that Rivers. Class. That's what I'm saying. He's in, he's that, in class. that class. Sure. And, uh, and that's special. I mean, that's what this run changes. It changes careers and it changes it for Michael Malone as well. Fun talking with you about this. Uh, we will, of course, do it again uh, tomorrow as the Nuggets celebration continues with the parade happening on Thursday. Thanks so much to Vinny Benedetto with the Denver Gazette for joining us. Follow him on Twitter at VBenedetto. Danny Bailey's the man in the booth and you get a chance to hear him every once in a while. You heard him there reading off those texts, making everything look and sound great. Thanks to all of you interacting, listening, listening, whether it's over there at 98.1, whether you're uh, watching or listening on the web, mylifesports.com or on the free My Life Sports app, which I'll tell you is the easiest and best way to do it. Just go ahead and download it. You get it when you want it, how you want it, crystal clear, easy peasy. But however you get us, thanks so much. We're going to make way for our friends at Afternoon Drive. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. We'll catch you tomorrow. Keep it right here on My Life Sports.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.